You are listening to the For Flourishing Sake podcast by Frederica Roberts. Welcome to episode 53. This is the penultimate of the extended podcast episodes where you have had the opportunity to listen to the replays of the For Flourishing Sake book launch events. Today, I bring you the first half of the fourth and final panel discussion of the book launch extravaganza. This panel was recorded live on the 21st of August, the day the paperback edition of For Flourishing Sake was published. You can also watch all the video replays on the book launch extravaganza page at forflourishingsake.com. The final panel was chaired by Andrew Cowley, author of The Wellbeing Toolkit and of the beautiful foreword to my book. The panellists alongside me were Paul Bateson, who is a teacher, writer and PGC tutor at Huddersfield University in the UK. Julie Goldstein, who's the principal at Hartford Magnet Trinity College Academy in the USA. And Dan Morrow, who's the CEO of the Woodland Academy Trust in the UK, or he was at the time anyway. He's just started a new job, I believe. In this final book launch panel discussion, just as schools in the UK and the US were about to reopen for a new academic year in the midst of a pandemic, we pondered how important positive education is, more than ever in fact. In this first half of the discussion, we shared all of our definitions of positive education, discussed whether educating for character and well-being are the same thing, and whether they come at the expense of academic progress. Finally, we shared our thoughts on and examples of whether positive education works anywhere in any setting with any age group. You can, of course, watch back all the panel video recordings at forflourishingsake.com on the book launch extravaganza page or on the uh, Happiness Speaker YouTube channel as well. Good morning. Good afternoon. Hello, everybody, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is. Welcome. Welcome to the final of the four book launch live panels on the For Flourishing Sake book launch extravaganza. And today's is so exciting because it is the the day that the paperback has finally come out. So it's here in physical format available for everybody to get their hands on. Um, I'm beyond excited to be with you here today. And I have a fantastic panel of educators who will be introduced to you shortly. And I also have the wonderful Andrew Cowley with us here today, who's the author of the Wellbeing Toolkit and the uh, writer of the foreword to For Flourishing Sake. And he's very kindly agreed to chair today's panel so that when we start, I can just relax and take part in the panel as a panelist rather than have to chair as well. So thank you very much. Um, So I am Frederica Roberts. I'm the author of For Flourishing Sake. And uh, when I'm not writing, I am um, speaking, training um, and also occasionally lecturing at postgraduate level on positive education and character education. Before that, I was a teacher. So um, many, many years ago, before I changed careers, I was a teacher and I'm absolutely passionate about making sure that well-being is at the heart of education so that we can have education communities that truly support the flourishing of children and everybody in those communities, hence the book for flourishing sake. 
how can you bring positive education and well-being and character development into schools? And that's what the panelists are here to discuss with me today and how they've done their amazing work in their respective settings. So For Flourishing Sake is published today and it's available from all the major retailers um, of books all over the world. So get your copy today. Just search for For Flourishing Sake. So I'll hand over now to Andrew to chair this panel um, and uh, enjoy. Hope you find it useful and I'll have a quick word with you at the end again. But other than that, I'll relax as a panelist and take part. Thank you. Over to you, Andrew. Very much, Fred, and good afternoon, everyone, and uh, good morning to one of our panelists. Uh, Julie has joined us from uh, Hartford Magnet Trinity College in Connecticut in the USA, and it's breakfast time over there, so I hope you have had some breakfast, Julie. Um, we're glad you've joined us. Uh, we're expecting Paul Bateson. He's got one or two um, issues with his tech, I think. Uh, but when Paul joins us, Paul is uh, from the University of Huddersfield, and he's a teacher, writer, and PGCE tutor. And we also have uh, Dan Morrow. Dan and I know each other from uh, our workplaces, and Dan is currently CEO of the Woodlands Academy Trust, uh, but will be moving on to Ventures New fairly soon. So, for flourishing sake, when Fred contacted me uh, about this, would I be interested in writing the um, forward? Uh, it was 2019. No one had heard of social distancing. No one had heard of COVID. Uh, things have changed rather. So first question is, how are we? Julie, how are you? Um, great question. If you ask, it's kind of like the weather in New England. It changes <laughs> all through the day. Um, but we're just about to open up school and it's a combination of um, logistics and looking at how we're going to be infusing um, positive education within a virtual and hopefully throughout the year um, in-person school. That's great. Paul, you're with us. How, how, how are you? Hi. Yeah, I've, I've finally arrived. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, glad to kind of be, be, be here. I thought I was going to have to duck out then for a second, but I managed to figure it all out. Excellent. Uh, Dan, how about you? How are you doing? Um, very well. I, I'm actually down in Dartmoor, which is the uh, trust I will be leading from January. Um, I've realised it is one of the most beautiful areas in the country and also very, very wet. Um, but that's that's all good. Um, like Julie, we're very much thinking about the reopening of schools and how we ensure that positive education is embedded in the processes, systems and structures. But obviously, during this pandemic and COVID, having actually positive education embedded in culture has probably without doubt been one of the, the huge benefits of how we've been able to operate as a team. That's fantastic to hear. And Fred, how are you? Excited? I am very excited. Yes, it's been a long time coming today and actually delayed because of uh, the pandemic. It was supposed to come out as a paperback today uh, in, in June along with the Kindle. So very excited. Uh, but a bit like everybody else, you know, that there's a lot going on in education at the moment. And, um, and I think 
although it's been really disruptive and really heartbreaking in so many ways, I'm, I'm actually also quite excited about what this pandemic could do for education, because what it's done is it's forced us a little bit to look at what we're doing in our practices. And it's, I think, opened up more eyes to the importance of well-being um, for everybody in education. So and not just education, of course. So I hope that this can act as a catalyst for change. Fantastic. Right. Well, we've got a number of uh, number of questions. We've uh, been hinting at some of those in our introductions. Uh, so first question, it's quite broad. What do you understand by positive education? Uh, Paul, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely phrase, isn't it? And, um, you know, throughout the, the book, it's kind of, you know, there's different, perhaps different examples and it's kind of defined in, in different ways. But I guess I've always defined what I do as, as, as child-centred. You know, that that's for me, that's that's positive, where positive education starts from. Um, and I think it also is quite well summed up when you look at the timetable there um, and you've got the different subjects that are all boxed off uh, in the secondary school, certainly. For me, like positive education is that, the things that aren't there in the timetable, the, the kind of the cracks in the in the boxes, if you like. Fantastic, thanks. Okay, Julie, um, how about positive education? Your side of uh, the Atlantic is it different from what we view it in the UK, or uh, are we singing from the same hymn sheet? Um, well, it's really for me rooted in um, the positive, like PERMA, positive emotions, engagement, relationship, meaning and accomplishment and health. Um, and it um, needs to come across in our practices, how we take care of ourselves as adults, how that then gets transferred over to students through our own role modeling and also through explicit instruction um, within the day. And um, that's why everyone needs to get this book, because there's ways that you can see how people may be doing it, um, doing positive education and, and taking it to another level. So I'm happy. That's great. And your, your students are up to the age of 18. Am I right in thinking that? Yes, I'm in a um, yeah. grade 6 to 12 school now. And um, when I met Fred, I was in a pre-K to 8 character education theme school. So it does look different across the ages, but um, it's, um, I'll, I'll let everybody else talk and get yeah. <laughs> more specifics in another question. Okay, Dan, uh, being in charge of um, a number of schools, how's positive education looking for you and your, your colleagues? Um, I think it goes back to well, I think it goes back to Julie's point, actually, about um, the model that Fred proposes in the book around leaf, the learn and flourish. I particularly like the idea of that double helix, the idea that pos positive education is actually about the holistic approach of bringing the academics with the well-being and character without discerning some kind of hierarchy between the two, but actually seeing them as both symbiotic and synergistic with the goals of an overall holistically positive education for our children. And I think, as you know, Andrew, for the work we do together in our local authority and more generally, we do discreetly teach character education. And we also look to um, the culture of positive education. And I think it is that mixture of tangible and intangible. But equally, I would suggest that 
in those most testing times that we faced recently, it's where the benefits have really shown in terms of care, resilience, compassion, and and an approach which is not based on judgment, but is based on on trying to both liberate and and really, as as Fred would say, find help everyone to flourish within the the circumstances we find ourselves in. Thank you. Okay, now Fred, you wrote the book. What's positive education all about? <laughs> oh, now if I just said I don't know, that would be an interesting <laughs> one. <wouldn't it? laughs> um, well, like everybody said, there's there's all the elements are there, really. I mean, uh, Dan referred to the double helix, and that's the double helix that uh, IPEN, the International Positive Education Network, use. And I really like that as an overall kind of framework to, to explain what it is, because that double helix is on one hand academic education, and on the other hand, it's uh, well-being and character strengths development. And it's really when you put all of that together that you get that holistic approach that everybody here has talked about um you know nobody here would say that well-being is the the sole purpose of education and that we should forget about academic stuff it's about how the two feed off each other and actually if you want people to flourish overall which includes academically um not just while they're at school but also when they leave school and if you want the entire school community to flourish then it's about putting those puzzle pieces together and there's so much research that supports that if you look after the well-being side of things and the character development, then the academic uh, success actually follows anyway. So it makes absolute sense, even from that point of view, um, to, to support well-being. So that's where I see positive education. And I really see it as a bit of a shift in, in how we educate. It needs to be explicit. It needs to be implicit. It needs to be modelled. It needs to be through the academic subjects. And what I really hope is that one day it's no longer a distinction between saying positive education, character education, uh, well-being in education, but that we just talk about education and it includes all of these things mm. yeah some very pertinent points there and the sort of key things that have come out from that first round of questioning is relationships health care resilience positivity and um holistic nature everything uh, julie held up your uh, your leaf model which is a very powerful uh, model i've read of the um the whole the holistic nature of um of what education should be Right, so on to the next question, which partly started addressing this already. Um, so are educating for character and educating for well-being one and the same or are they different? And should it be at the expense of academic progress or not? Um, Dan, do you want to start us off on that one? Well, yes, just the... The first thing I want to do is um, challenge your question, yeah. because it's a false dichotomy to suggest that by promoting a holistic model, that that would be at the expense of academic progress. And I think that kind of hierarchy is is perhaps one of the reasons why we often talk in quite a binary as if they are either or. And and actually, I think it's, it's very, very clear it is an and. And that for me, the difference between character and well-being is actually about lexicon, language, and how we potentially approach that culturally, both in perhaps the United States, Britain, and other Western countries, where they're seen as perhaps interchangeable terms, so the way that positive education and character education can be as well. But there are some nuances in distinction underneath. Um, what I believe very strongly is that well-being is is about a state of mind and a state of existence and therefore about someone's ability to represent their present 
And character is about ensuring that we are in a growth mindset, looking at some of those traits, habits, behaviors, and expectations that lead us to be um, self-actualizing and therefore flourishing. And therefore, they have to be seen as both parallel and in fact, intersecting um, lines of approaches because you can have very, very, very successful um, pupils academically whose well-being is in a terrible, terrible place. Equally, you can have some people who have excellent well-being whose academics is not therefore supporting that well-being and character actually to be effective and, and sustaining in the long term. So again, I do come back to that double helix. I don't think we can divorce two concepts which are clearly linked. And just very briefly, I would suggest that in our discrete lessons around character and then in our approach using well-being coaches and therefore the academic approach, they're, they're almost like three sides of a triangle and they need to be held always in um, both tension but also supportive tension with each other in order to ensure the child or the family or indeed the staff member who's at the centre of the triangle is therefore always at that centre and isn't, isn't outsided by by some kind of reductive accountability or some need to put a tick in the box. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. I know you're really passionate about, um, about this from what I know of you in Bexley. Uh, Julie. Um, yeah, that is a definitely a loaded question. And um, what I, let's see, what can I add to that? I, I think that First of all, absolutely well-being and positive character development in the um, areas that were just described are are essential for positive school culture and also for academics. And um, an example in school of what how it might be different is, you know, we start our day um, at HMTCA, um, that's the acronym for our school, and at Breakthrough also in the morning with um, a mindful moment. A lot of schools have started to um, do that. And so that would be an example of how to promote well-being, being present, um, intentional awareness. And then um, character is, um, I think, reflected through the our intentions and in developing our skills. Um, and that gets, that's when we're put to the test um, in the activities that we do. I think that character in um, that kind of cliche description of, you know, um, thoughts, actions, habits, um, then develop into our character that negative or poor character can sometimes be um, a reflection of cumulative negative behavior that may be um, done as a result of some shortcomings that um, people are, don't know how to resolve. So in schools, it's the perfect place to get the foundation set um, through um, both well-being and character development. Uh, Fred, I turn to you for that. Um, that one. What do you think? Separation of character and well-being, like, or are they natural bedfellows? Uh, I think they're definitely natural bedfellows, and uh, definitely support uh, the academic uh, achievement rather than um, undermine it in any way. I actually look at it from a uh, positive psychology perspective and actually character development and character strengths form one of the big, big building blocks of positive psychology and how we look after our well-being. So there's research that supports that both um, generally working on your character strengths, knowing what they are, knowing how to recognize them, knowing how to develop them in oneself and also spotting them in others can enhance 
enhance well-being, uh, but also there are certain character strengths that particularly support well-being. So strengths like hope, for example, gratitude are some of the ones that are particularly associated with supporting well-being. So developing those in an educational context is really important. Um, so I see almost character development as an element of a bigger picture of whole uh, of, of positive education, and that all sits within the, the context of, of positive education as a whole school endeavour, which then brings in all of these other things, which are also character strengths, for example, like leadership as well. Um, so it, it all fits together in lots of different and complex ways. And I think if you take one of the elements out, as Dan was referring to that triangle, you know, you start seeing that some something starts to give and something starts to get a little bit wonky. Uh, so you really need all three. You need the academic, you need the character, you need the, the, the well-being aspect. And once you put all of that in place, then it really, they, they all nourish each other and they all feed off each other and, and support um, flourishing in all aspects. Okay. And then finally, if I turn to, to Paul there, now Paul is um, as a PGC tutor. Um, how do you emphasise character and well-being for your uh, potential future teachers? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, firstly, I, I agree with what the, all the other speakers have said, you know, that they, they really are intertwined. Um, and, you know, it's very interesting, isn't it? The kind of, the, the, as you said, the loaded question about it, is it at the expense of, of academic progress? And, I, you know, that's would definitely not. You know, for me, well-being is about being happy and healthy in order for you to explore your character, which for me, you could read the word values in, in the place of character. But, you know, as Fred said, you know, expecting and having strong values will, will undoubtedly enable you to be well and happy and healthy. So there is a, a bit of a chicken and egg um, element to, to the question. Going back to my kind of timetable analogy earlier, you know, there's no there's no reason why you know maths lessons and science lessons should not be included in elements of um, of character and of values and of well-being in those lessons, and that's what we kind of teach on the PGC at, at Huddersfield. You know, yes, we're on a secondary. Um, I'm teaching on the secondary uh, PGCE, so we're all subject specialists. But you know, we've we've all got a, a duty and we've all got an obligation to weave these things into into our into our own curriculums you know it's, it's, it's not at the expense and people look at that curriculum and say oh there's no time for a, a discrete session on um character for example and i would say there is and i know there's plenty of schools out there that, that are doing that and but even even if there isn't you know it, it comes in in your own subject it should be planned in to your own subject as well thank you paul right so, challenging question. Let's try this one. Will positive education work anywhere and in any setting with any age of children? Um, Fred, would you like to start us off here? Put me on the spot, why don't you? Um, yes, the answer is yes. What I really set out to do in the book was to show exactly that. And that's why I was really keen uh, when I interviewed contributors to the book to speak to people from different schools. So whether it was independent schools, whether it was state funded schools, whether it was primary, secondary. Uh, I even interviewed somebody who's uh, implemented positive education in higher education settings um, and in different countries all over the world, because I really wanted to show that this is not something that only happens in certain 
certain types of schools. I think sometimes positive education has been seen as being something that only happens in high-end independent schools, and that's really where it started. If you look at Geelong Grammar School in Australia, if you look at... Um, um, it's gone Wellington College. That's it over here in the UK. You know, that's those are the schools that have been associated with the with the start of what's known as as positive education now. But really, what I wanted to show is that this has been happening all over the world in lots of different types of schools and quite often schools with very small budgets as well. So it's not something that's only um, a, a, available to to people in fee paying schools or in certain countries uh, what we do need to do and that's one of the elements of the leaf model uh, that's been shown by the research to be really important is to adapt what we do to the cultural environment and that's the cultural environment in a specific country for example but also each school each educational setting has its own microculture so you can't just take something that works in one school and transpose it into another and expect it to work exactly the same way you have to take the cultural environment into account and you have to adapt what you do. So in that context, as long as you do that, then yes, it can and will work anywhere. It does. And indeed, uh, for people who are going to, going to buy the book and uh, invest in it, we go from uh, Geelong High School, we go to Wellington College. Uh, we dip down into our corner of South East London as well, uh, as well as one or two other locations. So a very, very diverse um, range of schools being covered in, in the book. Um, Okay, Paul, how about you? Will will positive education work anywhere? I, th I think so. In, in my experience, I've, I've seen it work. Um, I, I work in a primary school regularly. Um, and, you know, we've been working to do what I just talked about in terms of, you know, weaving, weaving these values through the, the regular curriculum. Um, and, you know, the response has been brilliant. Um, I've seen the same at secondary school. Um, with, with projects that I've run and I, and I talked about the, the kind of angle that we take at, uh, at teacher training level as well. I, I think I'd agree with what, what Fred said though, there's, there's got to be some context because not, you know, not all schools need, need the same and not all, not all students need the same. So, so a project that I run at a school, for example, was, was in response to a certain issue Um I felt like we needed to teach kindness to, to these children and, and at another school that might not be something that's at the top of the list so that the project or the kind of focus might be different but absolutely it can it can work across the board. Okay, thank you Paul. Okay um, let's head over to Julie. Now, Julie what do you, do you think positive education can work anywhere? Oh I know that it can and um I, I guess one, I guess the, the thing that's interesting in my personal experience is that I was fortunate enough to join a school um, founded by a, a teacher who that was her complete intention in creating Breakthrough Magnet School was in developing a school that promoted positive character development po before positive education had a name. And by creating the mission and the vision and the values and um, promoting those explicitly and implicitly, um, I've, I've seen it for myself and I've, I've seen how it can work. Um, and, the, and actually the cumulative effect starting from a three-year-old and as each, um, as they get up in years, um, what that looks like and how that lands. And now I'm in a grade six to 12 school where it was not necessarily in um, intentionally or as self-aware 
in its um, creation as a school, and we're going to make it more self-aware. And so I think any educator or school leader, the positive education elements are already present in, in your school, in your mission and your vision, in everybody's why. And um, this um, book, especially um, that Fred put together, by the way, I do love that you get to travel around the world in the book um, through the different schools is really neat. But you can see how to make what you're doing intentional so that you can get actual results. And that's something that I focus a lot on is setting a goal for well-being um, that we measure through a Likert scale um, that we then can tweak more intentionally as a result of having those things in place. So I know it works and it's um, something that I'm also excited to see continue and expand globally. Thanks to Fred and this great book. You really have to get it. It's a great roadmap. Thank you, Julie. Okay. And finally, I'll turn to, to Dan. Now, Dan, you, I know that you've got a background in uh, uh, children from EYFS2 right through to secondary. Um, do you think it can work anywhere? Absolutely. And really, really want to echo what Julie just said, firstly about the book, but also I've seen it and I know it can. I mean, what I find really interesting is if you really think about positive education, that's what the early years experience for our children and the curriculum is all about. It's about not trying to silo those aspects of character, well-being and academics as we look to the holistic child. One of the difficulties in the British education system as we go through it is that we can sometimes then see a hierarchy of academics overtaking that sort of character well-being. To reference what Fred said at the beginning, it does feel that some of the independent sector understood that first. And we probably in the last five to 10 years have been in a bit of a paradigm in the UK where, where positive education was almost for the privileged few. And actually our model was suggesting the majority just needed to be academic, academic, academic as the way out. And I think that sort of reductive thinking is now being challenged when we see that without that focus on the, the double helix, and the sense that well-being and academic health is, is inextricably linked, we do not get to the point where we see children who go on to flourish outside of settings where that isn't the case. And a good example is, if we take just an academic approach, say, for example, at high school, then we see dropout rates, huge, huge dropout rates at university, because we haven't given the character and well-being for those children to succeed in the long term. And therefore, for me, yes, it can and will succeed everywhere when it has the, the culture to support it, because actually that is what a genuine depth of education looks like. And it's also what our serving our moral and vocational purpose is all about. Thank you for listening to the For Flourishing Sake podcast. If you have found this episode useful or interesting, please give it a five star rating on iTunes to help it reach more people and please spread the word. Also, if you haven't already, remember to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. For Flourishing Sake is available on all the major podcasting platforms. The book is available from all major online book retailers in most countries. It's jam-packed with evidence-based strategies for whole school positive education, with case study examples from a wide range of schools from around the world. Have you got your copy yet? If you'd like to get in touch with questions or comments or to contribute to a future podcast episode, please contact me via Twitter at Flourishing Ed. You can also leave comments on individual episode pages on the forflourishingsake.com website, of course. 
I look forward to hearing from you and until next time, for flourishing sake, have a great week.